You remember that uh, last week uh, Andy introduced uh, a series that we're going to do um, in this passage. And um, last week we looked at the people around Jesus. And we saw that there were two groups of people that uh, were surrounding him at this time. There were the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I don't know if you ever heard that, you know. Do you know why they're Sadducees? Yeah, because they, don't, they didn't believe in the resurrection. And that really made them sad, you see. Thank you, Jenny. And then there were the others who the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the rulers and the like really despised. They were the, the tax collectors and um, the sinners, the, the prostitutes, the harlots, to use the Bible word. And uh, these people were really looked down upon and uh, treated with some contempt. And in order to teach the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Jesus tells three stories, parables, or illustrations about things that were lost and found. And what we're looking at uh, today is taken from the third uh, story, often called the lost or the prodigal son. But a better description might be two lost sons. And this is what we're going to look at this morning and in the coming uh, Sundays um, with Andy we'll be looking at uh, taking a closer look at the older son which is quite revolutionary isn't it I've, I've, I've never in all the years I can remember I can't imagine how many sermons I've listened to really um, but I've never heard anybody speak specifically about the older son um, and then I think that the last uh, Sunday in the series we'll be looking at the significance of the feast that the Father gives at the end. So that's uh, for us to look forward to. But today we're going to look at the, these uh, two sons. And that really, I guess, could resonate with many uh, families today. The old um, sibling rivalry of children. And perhaps those children who... Uh, grow up, take a wrong turn, find themselves in the wrong company and often perhaps bring sadness and anxiety to their parents. So although it's a story told uh, some 2,000 years ago, it has a relevance uh, to today. But really the idea of the story was to teach us about the relationship between God and man about sin. Now there's a word, isn't it? We don't kind of say that very often, do we? It's all right in a hymn or a song, but to actually talk about sin, to actually be challenged about our sin, it's, not, it's kind of not really a very trendy sort of thing to do. But we're talking about sin today because sin is at the heart of this story. It's inescapable. It's consequences and God's response in grace and love towards the sinner. That's what we see here. Um, the prodigal son has been uh, the subject of uh, artists. Rembrandt, probably, slide number one, Steve. I think Rembrandt, probably the most famous. Oh. That's slide two. Oh, we'll do it that way round. No, we're all right now. 
two brothers. That's our subject today, isn't it? Two brothers. There they are, two brothers. Now, I'm not sure that Reuben's very keen on the attention of his older brother. Um, he looks rather frightened, doesn't he? And uh, I don't really know. The other week we had a photograph sent, Sharon sent a photograph, and um, Sebastian would be very quiet in his bedroom. He gets up in the morning and plays, you know, but she didn't hear him. And when she did get up to see what was going on, outside of his bedroom was piled up a whole heap of clothes, nappies on the top. But they weren't Sebastian's clothes, they were all Reuben's. He was trying to say something. (laughs) So we don't know, do we, how they'll grow up. We see them like that. It's great, isn't it? Great hope for the future, little characters uh, developing. And uh, a little Hugo here. And we know that physically they will grow. But we don't know how they're going to grow up otherwise, do we? What turn and direction their lives will take. But we can just... uh, Uh, place them in uh, God's hands and uh, pray that indeed they'll grow up to be, in the case of brothers, young men uh, who follow him. Right, so uh, if we can find Rubens now. Thank you. It doesn't come out too great. Actually, it doesn't come out too great anywhere really as a painting. It's rather, I think the figures to the side are meant to be in the background as it were. You're meant really not to distinguish them. And here's the picture of the uh, the, the, the sun returned uh, very penitent there. So I just thought that might interest us to um, uh, whet our appetites, as it were, for what we're uh, going to see. So, let's begin with this younger brother. Here, in this um, short description of what he got up to, we see the depths really of his sin and what we have to really look at here is that the nature of this sin was a willful sin it was a considered thought out sin it wasn't a kind of accidental slipping into doing the wrong thing it wasn't being influenced by somebody else it wasn't being overtaken by circumstances this was really thought out To perhaps fully understand this, we need to have some idea of the the culture and the customs of the time. Even today, we need to understand that. It it fits, doesn't it? it? It's not normal to ask your parents for a share of their estate until you've had the Thanksgiving service. Well, I hope not, anyway. A parent might be generous during the lifetime to bestow upon their children some of their wealth. I think it's usually called a loan, but it doesn't quite work that way. But this young man really essentially wished his father dead. Because he was looking to the day when uh, his father wouldn't be there and he would uh, come into the good of the wealth that he had. He would have also... Gosh. He would have... <laughs> there seemed to be a very quick solution. It was always easy as that. 
He knew the effect that this would have on his uh, family, on his, his brother and his father, because clearly in order to raise these funds, uh, some assets would have had to have been uh, realized, some land sold or uh, whatever. Probably in modern days you might um, realize your savings or whatever. He'd already made a plan to use this money to lead a dissolute life. And he knew, didn't he? He kind of knew, if you like, his victim. He knew the nature of his father who wasn't going to deny him. Although it seems we're denying poor Hugo something there. He knew, didn't he? Just in the same way, some of you will now nod sagely, as your children know which button to press, don't they? Which way to, you know. And they, and they know that you just, you do everything in your power not to see them in difficulty, to see them comfortable, to see them provided for. And that's the, the kind of father we have in this story. And this young man, he knew that. So when he went to ask his father, he kind of had a good idea of what the answer would be. You see, his motives in all this were completely selfish. They showed an absence of any love for his father, or indeed his family at large. It showed a total absence of any sense of loyalty for the years that he'd lived in this household, in this family. It showed a lack of any appreciation of what he'd been given or what he'd asked for and what it would cost. And it's with that character, that nature, that he begins... This downward path takes his, it'd be a one-third share in those. If his father died and there were two sons, the estate would have been split. Older two-thirds, younger one-third. So I understand. Um, so he takes this uh, money and uh, he starts on that downward path that ends in poverty, in loneliness, and in hunger. Isn't this great stuff? It's great for the preacher, you know, because you can rail with relish and righteous indignation against this young man who chose this uh, path, you know, chose to go this way. And we can reflect, can't we, that he got what he deserved as he found himself uh, in that uh, place amongst the, uh, the, the pigs there. Perhaps here is an opportunity to preach against materialism. But this preacher would have to be careful. I don't live in a palace, don't misunderstand me, but I feel very blessed with what I have. And... Um, as Phil will tell you, I have great plans for my back garden. And uh, I bought something new the other day, you know, so I have to be careful about these things. 
But you recall that that's what Andy explained to us last week. That that's what the word prodigal means. It means being lavish. It means being unstinting. And that's how, what the, how the son was. He didn't spare himself anything. And that's why he ran out so quickly. But you see, there's a point to this story too. That all of us are in the same boat. We're all in the same state. In Isaiah we're reminded that all have sinned. There's that word again, sin. Think back to last week. These rulers and teachers of the law felt they were better than, superior than the sinners with whom Jesus talked and worst of all, ate. And so he's really trying to explain to them that isn't so. But as they listen to the story up to this point, surely they, that's just how they would react, just how we would react. I wonder if we were doing a, a play, you know, like you do the school play. Do you remember when you were younger and all you ladies wanted to be Mary? I don't know if any of you ever got to be Mary. No. And I don't know what boys wanted to be. I was, yeah, well, you always ended up being a sheep, didn't you? But maybe you wanted to be... I think the innkeeper was a good job, wasn't it? Being able to say no for once. Um, but, you know, if this was a school play, which would you rather be? The youngest son, the wicked son who took all his father's money and went off and wasted it all? Or would you rather be the respectable older son? I wonder... Well, let's go on and see where we get to. This story is something of a roller coaster. And we've got to this point, haven't we, where, you know, it's gone down there and we're in the dip. Now, I hate roller coasters or anything like that. And even as I say that, I can feel that thing in the pit of my stomach. So that's where we've got to, down in the dip. And I don't know about yours, but that's where mine. And the poor prodigal son, he gets there and he realises that it's all gone wrong. It tells us in the uh, scripture reading that he came to his senses. And there, we can picture it, can't we? sat amongst the... Um, uh, the pigs, which you, which you have to remember to um, uh, a Jewish person was an unclean animal. You couldn't really get any worse than this. And no one would give him any food. He really was in a, a desperate uh, state. And so he decides on a course of action to return home and to confess his sin. To ask to be treated as the lowest, the least secure member of his father's household, to be a hired man, not even a household servant or a slave, but a hired person. No security in that. And to my mind, this demonstrates that he understood his situation. You know, he had to spend all the money to get there. He had to find himself totally without, without 
friends or food or any means whatsoever. And perhaps sometimes that's what God does. Allows us to get to that state. And as we talk about this, you can see I, I am gifted with an imagination and I'm there. I don't know about you. But it is quite difficult actually, isn't it? Because we're all sat here. So I take my jacket off, I'm warm. I had a good breakfast this morning. Porridge with honey. Um, you know, I, I have a lunch to look forward to. It's comfortable. It's cosy. We, it's, we don't really experience a sort of physical uh, hardship in that sense. But what we have to see here is that this uh, son had found himself far removed from everything. And when the, the Lord told this story, it's really obvious, wasn't it, that the father he was speaking about was his heavenly father. And that's the point, wasn't it, that the son had removed himself from his home, from his roots, from his father. And it's only when he's at the end of everything that he realises just where he's gone wrong, just how far away he is. He realises that he's in this situation because of his own sin and willfulness. He can't turn around and blame anybody else or his circumstances. He realises his sin was firstly against God. He says, against heaven have I sinned and against you. He realises that he needed to confess that and to be sorry about it, to repent. There was no alternative and that this sin had cost him his relationship with his father. So here we are at the bottom of our roller coaster. And we see a complete uh, turnaround. Do you know, I, I love this story. When I was talking to uh, Andy, I could, I, I could see where we were going. I told him that if somebody had asked me to pick your favourite bit of the Bible... This is up, up there amongst them. And I'll tell you why. This is why. You see, in this uh, story, we see the son return home. He's in a mess. He hasn't brought anything with him. Nothing to appease his father. He smells of where he's been amongst the pigs. We might say, we might put a, a spiritual application on that and say that he's tainted with the world that he'd found himself in and undoubtedly that would be true. His father was an upright man a good what we would describe as a good man but this part of the story begins with the father reaching out to the son who'd taken his money run off wasted it 
got himself into such a state and here he is on his way home and the father is looking out for him do you know I like to think that every day the father got up and looked out for the son he didn't wait Rembrandt has used a bit of license here in order to compose a picture because the father didn't wait for the son to come and kneel at his feet the father ran to him the son didn't have to kneel the father embraced him regardless of the smell of the pigs on him he restored him to his sonship it gave him a a ring for his finger he covered his shame by giving him a coat to put on he relieved his suffering with the sandals for his tired feet and he publicly owned his son because he gave him a party and called everyone to celebrate with him now if that isn't the most wonderful picture of God's love for us but you see the problem here is that we can be so comfortable and we can sit back and say well yeah I know it's a great story but I haven't done that I'm not that bad God's love doesn't have any boundaries and we say that's great isn't it and that's great for you know some people but not for me you see the the son this was his uh, experience don't know if we've got number three yep we have it had to begin with a realization a realization of where he was and where he got to and how he got there it had to involve repentance being sorry for that and wanting to change things but it resulted in his restoration isn't that just great now for part two as it were we're going to just look uh, briefly at the older son you see he was lost equally as lost but he didn't uh, realise it Uh, in a question posed in a newspaper G.K. Chesterton I don't know if you've heard of him I think he was a writer of some sort and a a well known Christian and uh, in this newspaper anyway there was a question posed what's wrong with the world and Chesterton wrote dear sir I am yours sincerely yeah you knew it you see it's about realisation isn't it it's about coming to that point of realising that you are that I am uh, a sinner you see we would have some sympathy for the older son he was clearly hard working respectful to his father he was honest he was moral And yet, 
if we read into the story, we see he no more loved his father than his brother. When the test came, the return of his wayward brother, his reaction reveals his true nature. Uncaring for his brother's welfare, he says to his father, when this son of yours, note that, not my brother, but this son of yours, he didn't show any love for his father, otherwise he would have been happy that his father was happy to have his son return. And he became angry. You see, he was angry because all the time he'd spent at home being good hadn't earned him any extra points. He already had his two-thirds share. If we read the passage carefully, we'll realise that his father divided his wealth between them. His father hadn't denied him anything, despite what he might have um, uh, said about goats. But you see, he really was so caught up in his own moral uprightness, as it were, his own rule-keeping, that he'd lost sight. He'd lost sight of, the, of his father of the person he was, of the love that he had. And in the um, uh, next two Sundays, Andy's going to expand on that, would you believe? But yes, there's more there. But I want us to think now really of these two sons and their lives and just get this point about the older son, how, well, the point that he missed. You see, in both lives, we see sin. We see self-interest, selfishness. I want, I will uh, do at work. Manifest in different ways. We see one son's restored. Brought back to the father. We see the other angry and unable to participate in the celebration. Outside of all the blessings. But he put himself there. It's that failure on the older son's part to appreciate that he too needed to address his relationship with his father. That uh, jumps out from the page. Today we sometimes forget the Christian gospel. We don't even use that word, do we? Gospel. Because the language and our attempts to be careful of people's sensitivities we don't want to use those words do we we don't want to talk about sin there it is again we don't want to talk about repenting being sorry we don't want to talk about the cost about the Lord's sacrifice we don't want to say oh are you saved it sort of sounds rather Victorian doesn't it a bit um, sort of D.L. Moody or something we don't want to talk about heaven and hell do we but these things are all real. And we, re we read in Ephesians, uh, Malcolm read for us there, to, that makes it clear that we can't work for our salvation. There's, there's nothing we can do to make things right between us and God. 
but it's a result of his grace towards us his undeserved love and favour for us as we were reminded last week the prodigal God the God who is so lavish in what he gives to us so lavish in the love he pours out uh, upon us the son didn't understand that he thought that his the older son he thought that he would uh, uh, work as it were in order to please God here's a little um, snippet from the book that Andy uh, referred to the prodigal uh, God I knew a woman who had worked for many years in Christian ministry when chronic illness overtook her in middle age it threw her into despair. Eventually she realised that deep in her heart she felt that God owed her a better life after all she had done for him. That assumption made it extremely difficult for her to climb out of her pit, though climb she did. The key to her improvement, however, was to recognise the elder brother mindset. Elder brothers obey God to get things. They don't obey God to get God himself. In order to resemble him, love him, know him and delight him. So religious and moral people can be avoiding Jesus as saviour and lord as much as the younger brothers who say they don't believe in God and define right and wrong. For themselves it's just so much easier to read what somebody had put so much better than I could you see that was where the older brother or elder brother if that's better grammar I don't know that's where he'd lost his way as well because he thought that he was going to work for it that whatever the father gave him or did for him was something that he deserved but he didn't realise that everything he owed to the father and that's true of us no matter where we find ourselves no matter what uh, place we find ourselves in we need uh, to be like the younger brother the gospel deals with our sin deals with our living as we please doing what we want ignoring God's rules that separates us from God but God sent his son Jesus Emmanuel God with us God becoming a human being to die on a cross to become a sacrifice for us to take the punishment for our sins to give his life for us you know nobody took his life away he gave it up for us there's no one had the power no one on earth had the power uh, of his life he told um, Pilate that didn't he and he rose again in power he rose again so that we might live with him to demonstrate his power to show that death had indeed been 
conquered. But you see, like any gift, like any sacrifice, it has to be accepted. It has to be appropriated. We have to say, well, that's for me. And to accept that gift that God offers, to accept his grace and his mercy, we need to realise our need. And in our story, we see one brother who realised. All right, you know, he had to really get somewhere to do that, didn't he? But he did. And we see another brother who's so wrapped up in all his goodness and his hard work, all his endeavours and his right living. I expect he had a nice suit as well. So wrapped up in that, that he couldn't see how that he too needed to turn to his father and say, well, actually, Dad, I've been really selfish. I've just done everything for me and I need you to forgive me. No, he was, quite frankly, he was above that, wasn't he? Just like Jesus' audience of the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the rulers and the teachers were above that. So as we come to a conclusion, there's kind of questions for us to ask, aren't there? We sort of have to ask ourselves, well, what box do I fit in then? Uh, uh, Jill's doing some ticking the boxes with the younger ones uh, today. What box are you going to tick? Are you a younger brother? Do you know that your sin has put you far, far away from God? But you've accepted the sacrifice of his son Jesus. You're sorry for all that sin. And you know that you've been saved. That you're loved of God. And that you're a a recipient of that grace that we read about in Ephesians. For by grace are you saved. It's not anything to do with us. It's a gift, a free gift from God. Have you taken that? Do you find yourself in that happy state this morning I pray you do I I mean some of you I know some better than others um, but you know one of the things I learnt doing this study was this thing that's referred to in here about um, he says the, uh, the the older brother the older brother attitude the older brother mindset and I found myself this week, I've been tripping myself up. You know when you, something happens, it's a bit like the Daily Mail reader complex really, you know. Something happens, you hear something or, or you encounter something somebody does and you come to a quick judgment about them. Oh, he shouldn't have done that. Well, that's wrong. And I've had to stop myself and say, older brother, stop that. And if we are this morning in that happy state of knowing that you're a sinner saved by grace don't be smug don't be complacent or judging of others remember this because this is why I have to remind myself you're still a sinner saved by grace that's an old hymn isn't it saved by grace alone this is all my plea Jesus died For all mankind and Jesus died 
for me. That's probably 30 years or more since I've sung that. You can't remember it. We'll find it. That's a, all you Google fans and that, you find it. I remember when I was really quite young and we, and we lived in Wales and we used to go to this little chapel up in a valley town. And uh, every Sunday afternoon I used to pick up some children in my old 1100 car and it used to chug up this hill because it's, I think they all had to have one leg short and the other in that place. And uh, we'd go into Sunday school and there was two old brethren there would do the Sunday school and I'd go along to help them and we had no visual aid not even a blackboard we just used to tell them the Bible stories I think they knew a few sort of choruses but it was mostly hymns and we used to sing that hymn and I can remember there was a little boy and he loved singing and he belt this hymn out I can see it now he had ginger hair and uh, two sisters I think and they used to crowd in the back of my car and he'd sing that saved by grace alone this is all my plea Jesus died for all mankind and Jesus died for me you see if that's you then be humble show God that that really is working in your life by your attitude to others try to be like the father who wants to draw others uh, to him, we could speculate on this younger brother, couldn't we? Where he went after this, but that's not the idea of the story. It's not like um, the movies, you know, Prodigal Son Two. It's, we haven't got that, have we? But we know this: that he was brought into his father's house. He became a son once again. But that meant that he was subject to his father once again. And each of us, if we are a sinner saved by grace, we're subject to our Father's rule, aren't we? We're subject to the scriptures that teach us to love others, to be humble, to be meek and lowly. Yes, sometimes to be a doormat for somebody, hard although that might be. So don't let the older brother complex creep in. Perhaps you'd be like me this week. When, you say, oh, when that word of criticism springs to your lips, remember, older brother. I don't know, perhaps this morning you are an older brother, relying on your religious observance, following some sort of moral code, striving to do the right thing, trying to gain your points. Not like Sainsbury's points or whatever, is it? 500 points is worth 50p or something, I don't know. But, you know, whatever it is, you get the idea, is it? There's this idea sometimes that we're working for it. We need to realise that we're, we stand in need, that all our religious observance will not deal with the problems of our sin. We need to turn to our Father God and accept the sacrifice that his Son Jesus made for us. Or perhaps this morning you find yourselves, I don't know, somewhere else. Perhaps you're really seeking this morning a younger brother on his way home. Well, our prayer for you is that you find your way. And that what we've uh, spoken of this morning is helpful. As I said at the beginning, I love this story. It speaks just volumes of God's love and grace 
towards us. And we're going to conclude with a hymn that uh, expresses some of that, but I stand alone in the presence.